You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. This week's episode is actually about invasive species. So we've been seeing some stuff. Actually, our dad has been sending us some articles on you know, the, the problem with wild hogs in this country, and that sort of spurred the, the conversation. So we talk wild hogs, we talk Asian carp, just, you know, how big of a problem there is, you know, if we, maybe some thoughts on, on how we might solve the problem or attempt to solve the problem, or just some things to even think about when approaching the problem, I guess. We even get into a little bit of invasive plant species, so interesting topic that uh, affects everybody in this country. So before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub is an Ohio deer feed company, and what that means is they're an Ohio company, and they try to source everything, their ingredients, even their packaging from Ohio, so it helps the Ohio economy. And you guys get a really good, we've had good luck with their, their signature monster whitetail grub feed. 
It's a, it's a high protein feed with mineral mixed in. They also have flavored corn, which they have all different kinds of flavor options you can get. It takes just standard corn up a notch. So if everybody in your area is running corn, this might be something you want to look at. And then if you're just looking for straight mineral, they've got that also. So go to our website, ohiohuntsman.com sponsors, and you can get in touch with them and try some of their stuff. And with that, let's get into updates what do you guys uh got going on that you want to go over anything so uh this past weekend uh was my niece's controlled hunt um you know we'll probably get into you know some stories from it a little bit later you know on a later episode um but we went out we had a good time we we didn't harvest any deer but we, you know, had the opportunity to see some deer. Um, she did click the safety off. So, you know, she got the safety off. So got the heart pumping. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think had the heart not been pumping so much, we probably, you know, at least would have had uh, a shot. But uh, <laughs> the heart, the heart pumping, you know. We've all been there, man. Yeah. Kind of, you know, and yeah, I mean, it was really one of the i mean first deer she's ever seen you know so you know while hunting so sure it it took her a little extra time to get on target and right by that, that time you know it was too late that was at mosquito creek mosquito lake what is mosquito creek okay all right uh wildlife refuge okay it was the youth controlled hunt all right. So that's what I've been up to. Yeah, I went out for my first sit, first two sits, I guess, of the of the season. So it was, I guess it would have been the second weekend of season. So I think it was October 3rd, 4th. And uh, out at this, you know, Summit County Parks Hunt Zone that, that Jacob got drawn for and didn't see a single deer. <laughs> But I, I think that was more on me. It was just poor stand choice, given the time of year. And, you know, we had gone in and looked, you know, did some scouting and, and picked some spots that I had picked out some spots that I liked, thought looked good. But yeah, I think I was too set on those spots instead of going where the sign told me I should be. You know, I just had these spots in mind, but it was a good opportunity to get uh, get some of the kinks worked out. You know, the first sit, you, you know, get your gear all squared away. I've got a few things that I changed this year that I was kind of trying out and things. And so it was a good opportunity to kind of do that without, you know, being halfway up the tree and going, oh, my gosh, there's a deer, right? You know, like one of those scrambles and everything's a, a cluster and it was kind of nice and leisurely in that regard. So, but it was good to be out there, but you know, that's about, uh, that's about it for me. Jake, you got anything going on? Yeah. Um, Jeff, dad and I went out opening weekend at the parks. Uh, Jason sat that one out, spent time with the family. And then like he said, just, went out this last weekend um 
you know, the whatever. But the opening weekend, we went out and I sat a ground blind that they had set up. They went and did all the scouting and prep work and set me up nice with the ground blind. Um, I shot, I think it was, yeah, it was the first evening. We didn't hunt the morning of opening day. Um, but I shot a doe. If you follow the story, Instagram stories. Um, and I think we mentioned it briefly last week that, that okay. you got a deer. So, but you can, yeah. you can enlighten us with some additional details. Um, I had put a trail camera up on this area and, um, you know, I pulled that card going in. So I was in, sitting in the blind quickly searching through the images and i saw that there was these two deer that were running together a small buck and a doe and the small buck worked its way in and i wasn't going to shoot it so i started shooting it with the camera (laughs) and recording (laughs) it um you know and then next thing next thing i knew the doe that had been running with him showed up and she wasn't so fortunate so i harvested her which was all good. She didn't go too far. Good shot. Everything was good there. Um, and then after I had shot her, there was another four or five deer come through out of range. Um, but similarly on the same path, but out of range. So I kind of used that information to um, adjust where the ground blind was a little bit going into Sunday morning. I hunted the same spot because I figured if it isn't broke, don't fix it, but didn't see anything. So then I moved the blind a little bit midday, Sunday, Sunday evening, went and sat that same blind, but I had moved it 50 yards, probably closer to where those deer crossed out of range. And didn't see anything where I wanted the deer to come, but I did have a deer come into the left of my blind and never had a shot at it because I didn't have that window open. Didn't come to the right side of the blind that had the window open. Um, so that one got away, so to speak, but I kind of knew where the deer are because I was seeing deer. Um, and then I haven't had a chance to get back out there, but I know dad sat that area um when he went with you jason so and he yes. didn't see any deer saturday he sat there sunday he s- sat in a stand north of there but he saw deer so, in the, on the sunday morning sit north of the blind right. but didn't see anything when he sat in the blind sat in the blind so who knows they might have shifted a little bit i don't know but yeah. that's kind of the thing with this time of year is i guess why a lot of people don't like hunting October or call it the October lull. It's because patterns change quick this time of year. Yeah. So you can be on them one day and off of them the next because temperatures change your food changes or there's a lot of shifts going on. So sure. Yeah. We'll see. Jeff and I are going to get after him again this weekend coming up. Jason's going to have to, sit this one out he's got a special anniversary coming so yep. it's 10 years with me and the wife congratulations on that yeah it's hard to believe it's one of those things you know it's like 
10 it doesn't feel like 10 years you know but yeah or like you know i was just telling amanda the other day you know ella's gonna be turning five you know lily's a little older than that but you know i said you know the time it, it seems like a blink of an eye you know she's gonna be five i told her you know it's kind of freaky to think that, you know, the time it took her to go from zero to five is the same amount of time it's going to take her to go from 10 to 15, you know, right. like it just feels like a 10 year old is, I don't know why I picked that number, but like a 10 year old seems very different than a 15 year old, you know, a 15 right. year old daughters, like, you know, yeah. the dreaded, you know, teenage daughter thing, but I'm sure it'll be all fun and, and, and wild and interesting when we get there, but. Just one of those things that was like, oh, man. Yeah. And then speaking of Lily, I uh, took her out hunting at my property. And the first night we went out, it was Tuesday of opening week, I guess. So opening day was Saturday, obviously. I think it was. Oh, no, it was Monday. Monday night. Um, took her out. And we didn't see any deer. The neighbor messaged me and said are you out you know and i'm like yeah we're sitting in the blind and he said oh well the deer are at my feeder <laughs> <laughs> so they went to the wrong place basically so he tried to go out and run them off and see if they'd come our way and i did see them running but they never ran to us um you know they were well off through the woods or whatever so sure. but then we went back out thursday in the evening and everything came together just as it should. Um, she, uh, I put her on, I put the crossbow iPod type thing for her and, um, helped, you know, I mean, she's only five. So a lot of, with a lot of my help, <laughs> um, was able to sit there, you know, sit in the blind with me though. And we, we missed the first one cause I put a, I got this cheap knockoff phone scope thing. Um, and I've, when we were shooting at the target, I felt like it was working, but I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to check it again. I guess she missed the first time. And I mean, you could see what she was aiming at on the phone and it looked like she was dead. Right. So I don't know if something with the scope and the zoom and it throws something off. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what happened. I have to check it, <laughs> but she missed shot low, you know, and that was all well and good. We went and got the arrow, made sure she missed. And, you know, I knew she missed cause you can tell from the sound if you hit a deer, um, you know, it just sounds different than missing a deer. <laughs> so, but then we got back in the blind and she did a good job and we took the little phone scope holder thing off and I, just she just used the regular scope and she uh was able you know i when the deer came out i had set it on the tripod so i had set it we were hunting over corn you know trying to get the deer to come out so she could have an opportunity and um i had set it up basically aimed where it needed to be and the deer came out and she did a good job she you know, I turned the, took the safety off and I said, all right, it's pointed at the deer. Just pull the trigger whenever you want. And she did. She smacked it. So she got herself her first deer. Awesome. So 
Yeah, she was super excited. Unfortunately, it didn't go as well as I wanted in terms of the recovery. Um, she was a little forward, I would say. She It was a younger doe. Um, she shot it kind of through the front shoulders, basically. Not all the way up, you know, to the meaty bony part, but she was up a little bit from... So it didn't bleed right away, and I was having trouble getting a blood trail, and it's hard to keep a five-year-old calm down. So we probably went too soon to look for it, and I think we bumped her, and so it ended up being that I had to take Lily home for bed, and then her mom actually came and got her, um, and then I went and recovered the deer, but I, you know, so we didn't get the chance to she didn't get the chance to do, recover the deer or get pictures or anything like that. But right. there's ne- always next time, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, it was all good. Got a bunch of meat in the freezer. So that's good. Yeah. Sounds that's... like it's off to it. Season's off to a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing, a lot of deer. I mean, I knew I'd see deer at my property because there's a lot of does at my property that need thinned. But yeah, I um out at the parks. I'm well. I guess Dad's seen deer now too. But I was the only one seeing deer out there. So I think the closer we get to rut out there, the better it's going to get. I think so too. I do too. I think it's going to be because there's not a defined food source in the sense of like ag fields or that kind of stuff right there that's going to hold them so i think once we get closer to rut and they get more on their rut patterns bedding to food to chase you know i think we're going to have better luck yeah because there's pretty clear defined travel through there and there's a bunch of old rut sign scrapes rubs that kind of stuff so i think we'll get into them here in the next couple weeks hopefully yeah. yep all right well should we get into the topic for this week then let's do it welcome to the ohio huntsman podcast where three brothers jason jacob and jeff discuss all things hunting in ohio our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of ohio as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so invasive species, feral species, that's kind of what we're going to go through today. Actually, what sort of spurred the idea was uh, Dad had sent us this article uh, about the U.S. wild pig population, and you know, it's got a, uh, it's a it's a Fox News article, so it's got, you know, they can be somewhat sensational in their headlines. I think a lot of the media outlets anymore are right; they're they're starving for our attention. So, rising populations of wild hogs worrying experts, many deemed super pigs. So, um. That sort of spurred a text conversation about, uh, you know, invasive species and and feral species. And and so we thought it would make for an interesting podcast topic. And 
you know, hogs isn't isn't one that that we in Ohio here struggle with too much. I mean, there are feral hogs, and I, you know, I'm sure the 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 people whose property is affected by by hogs would uh, argue differently. But I guess as compared to other states, right? We we don't have it near as bad as say Texas. You know, Texas is one of the the states that they called out specifically in this article. Uh, Texas, Florida, they uh, they have big problems. Um, this this article says there's the, the according to Texas Park and Wildlife, Texas has roughly 1.5 million feral hogs. Florida has more than 500,000 wild hogs and they're estimated to be between 1 to 2 million in the southeastern US. Um that's according to the University of Florida. California also has a large population. So they don't mention Ohio specifically in this article, but that sort of spurred that's where the topic came from. So and I I know Jeff you had some some things to add about about the programs that uh, I don't even know if programs is the right word, but but some of the things that yeah they're trying to do to to help combat some of these invasive species. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Ohio, um, you know, when it comes to hogs, you know, we we have pockets of wild hogs. Um, sometimes when the pockets are identified. Um, trapping programs can be very successful at, you know, trapping all or most of them and, you know, kind of removing that pocket. Other times, you know, the landscape just doesn't allow for that or the population's gotten just too big, you know, to trap them all. So, um... I mean, I think if you're looking to uh, hunt wild hogs in Ohio, probably like Venton County, Jackson County um, is probably the, the the main area where you'd probably have the best luck. Um, a, a new cool thing that a lot of game agencies and... Uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's trying now is a lot of these invasive species are popular game meat. Um, wild hogs, uh, Asian carp are popular game meats. Um, not necessarily here, but in other countries. So a lot of a new push is to basically rehabilitate the reputation of these animals you know as a food source so that people will start targeting them as food you know a lot of a lot of people hear carp and think oh that's you know bottom feeder that's gross right i And I guess that sort of presents a 
it's sort of, you know, you can easily play that out in your imagination to where you start this as a way to reduce the numbers, you know, maybe get rid of them, but you, you get far enough down that path of people liking to eat them. And all of a sudden they kind of want them around. Right. I mean, they enjoy eating them. They can go out, you know, with, with hogs, you can go out, get one any time of the year, day or night. Right. They're, they're, sort of no holds barred, right? And they, you know, you get a, 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 I don't know what the word, a following, if you will, people that enjoy hunting them, enjoy eating them, and you get into this sort of ethical conundrum, I guess, where you know they shouldn't be there, or maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. But, like, I could see me, right? Like, I know that they shouldn't be there but man is it cool to bring fresh wild pork home for the freezer you know and so is there i don't know what are your guys' thoughts on that right like do you <clears throat> do you make the goal to get rid of them or do you try to get to a point where you you get to a balance to where they're not continually growing, doing tons and tons of damage. I mean, this, this article about the hogs says that, uh, it says the hogs already cost the U S an estimated 2.5 billion with a B each year in damages and control costs, according to the U S department of agriculture. That's a buttload of money. Yeah. So do you, I'm not, you, you know, do you find a place where <clears throat> you're not spending that much money in damages, but they're not, you know, people can still enjoy them? Well, my understanding is, and I'm not super, super familiar, but I don't know that there's a, I think the reason that they cause so much issue is there's no way to control them. Without completely eliminating them. You know what I mean? Like you can't manage them like you do a whitetail population or because they just have, they're so adaptable and they have so many young so often. Like they're not a, you know, they don't have young one time a year. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What I've heard with wild hogs in Ohio, fair or not in Ohio, but in the United States and feral pigs is that you have to to harvest somewhere between 85 and 90% of the population annually to keep it a stable population which is a ridiculous amount you yeah. know i mean that's you really have to basically hammer them down to nothing every year just to keep it stable and you, you basically, uh, I mean, unless you had intensive, intensive hunting programs, you're not going to do it with just shooting them with a rifle. Even shooting them at night, I don't think you'd, I mean, you get, you know, you get a group of them come in and you get a couple, two, three, maybe if you're, if you're lucky, the conditions are right. 
that's not 85%. You'd have to do that night after night. Right. You know, they're going to wise up to that. They're, you know. Right. Even so it seems like one of these scenarios where you're just not going to do it with a rifle. Right. Even trapping them where you, whatever, you set up a big pen and, you know, with a trap door and you trap whatever, five, six of them in one night. My understanding from what I've kind of seen and read is you set the trap again the next night and you have another five or six and it just goes on and on. Like there's no end to them. Yeah. Or they get trap smart and then you don't catch any, but they're still there. Right. <laughs> I mean, cause they're not, I don't want to say that other, you know, animals are not intelligent, but they're, they're smart. Like if you try to trap them and they get out of the trap or beat the trap or, you know, like they're half in half out and the door slams, they don't go back in there. Right. They don't. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's right. It has to be a significant management program, like you said. I mean, you see videos on the internet of guys just flying around in helicopters and just shooting them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know that they ever even go back and get those. I think they just shoot them and just to shoot them. Yeah. I don't know. Just because there's so many of them and they're causing so much trouble. <laughs> so I guess to to <clears throat> bring that back around, maybe the conversation on you know, do you do you run into this scenario where people like to eat them and and they're depleting them at least in the case of hogs is is sort of a non-issue because people attempting to hunt them and bring the population, you know, to get rid of them through hunting for, for human consumption, it, it, it's not going to happen. I mean, unless every hunter in the country targeted, you know, I don't know, you had a quota, you have to shoot, <laughs> you have to shoot X number of hogs a year. I don't know. I mean, that that gets into some kind of crazy dystopian. Right. right. Like you have to shoot X number of hogs a year or or what? Right. Or else, yeah. uh, you know, <clears throat> I mean, because Texas is, you know, they have commercial hog trappers who are trapping hogs for the commercial market. And then hunters and they're population still out of control yeah you know they they're just slowing the expansion if you will you know they're just slowing them down they're not i don't think they've even tipped the scales in the human's favor yet no okay. you know, and that's with guys who it's it's they're making a living off of it they're you know running trap lines if you will for hogs and you know every day they're pulling behind the cattle trailer or whatever and filling it full of hogs and taking them to be butchered yeah so which that's another kind of weird thing in this day and age like you know something that's seen as a game species being commercially harvested 
you know, that's like hogs as a game species, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's seen as a game species. And by who? Like in, in what in what way, I guess? That people are going out and hunting it. Okay. In that regard. I mean, it's not something that I guess they're trying to manage, but it's people are going out and hunting that and recreating from it is basically what I'm saying. Do you know, are there any states that are like managing, you know, there's bag limits, there, you know, restrictions on uh, wild hogs? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, at least not restrictions in like bag limits. You know, there may be some states that have like ethical restrictions. You know, you have to shoot them with such and such a caliber or whatever. Oh, right. Okay. But I don't think, not that I know of, that has any sort of like bag limit or requiring a tag or, you know, something like that. Sure. I mean, Ohio, if if you want to hunt hogs during gun season, you have to have a deer tag. But that, you know. That's the only thing like that. And that's not because they're trying to keep you from shooting hogs. It's because they're trying to keep you from poaching deer and saying that you're out hog hunting. Right. Yeah. uh, Kentucky's doing a similar thing to, you know, what Texas does with commercial fish, you know, with commercially their silver carp. Um, They're now trying to develop a commercial market for it. Meaning people could catch them and take them to some sort of fish market and sell them? Uh, Yeah, if you had a commercial fishing license. Okay. I mean, you have to actually, I think, have to have a commercial fishing license. But they're trying, you know, they're, they're working with commercial fishermen, fish market, stuff like that to find some avenue to take these fish because in Asia you know they're a prized you know food source like they really want them but in that market they really want they want fresh fish there's not much of a market for frozen frozen carp okay you know frozen Asian carp um, so they're trying to find other, other markets, um, you know, basically trying to make fish products that people will eat frozen, you know, um, making like fish dumplings and sausages for like the European market. Okay. Um, stuff like that. And then I think they're also kind of trying to work with local chefs to which i mean this is kind of with all of these invasive you know species across the country uh they're you know game agencies are trying to work with like local chefs to make people make there be a a local demand whether you know how big or small that is you know every bit helps you know it's the kind of the 
you can't beat them, eat them movement. Okay. You know, I I think that's actually like a cookbook or something. I can't remember. I think it's a <laughs> I think it's a uh, <clears throat> a cookbook you can find online that is all invasive species recipes. Hmm. You know, can't beat them, eat them. I need and, to find a delectable Phragmites, uh, invasive Phragmites uh, recipe. Yeah, that, that one might be hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what to do with those. Uh, I mean, um, I know people eat cattails, but that's about as close as you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. It's hard to believe that there isn't something... And maybe the cost of getting it is still too high. But I was going to say, like, it's hard to believe that, like, in the pet food or, you know, some sort of feed industry wouldn't take, you know, wild hog or, you know, even Asian carp or, you know, something like that. Some of these invasive species are, are still good sources of protein. But maybe... yeah. Maybe the you know they've got connections set up with you know the beef and probably domestic pork industry to take their scraps that they can't get rid of any you know can't right. they'd just be thrown in a dumpster otherwise that you know paying somebody to go out and trap you know I, I don't know how that I don't know how that works. Yeah, because the other thing I was thinking is like fertilizer. Yeah, you know i i I know you can go to like the home improvement store and buy like fish fertilizer. You know, it's like I don't know what it is exactly, other than dirt and ground up fish. But yeah, I you know you think, especially you know with like carp when they're being fished for commercially and you know they're bringing in thousands of pounds right like i mean farmers pay a lot of money for fertilizers so you would think i don't know that maybe you could make make money there like you know it's cheaper than fertilizer yeah to just dump a bunch of fish in the you know i mean it would be it would cause a great stink but so does a lot of other fertilizers we put on fields so as we're into fall deer season if deer scent is something that you use have used in the past or are thinking about trying this year check out Mastin's deer scents Mastin's is a is a sponsor of this show and we like that because they make a really good product they collect all their scent on stainless steel which is more than you can say for, for some companies. Some companies collect on concrete, and, and we all know concrete's porous, and you can get off scents and off uh, flavors, if you if you will, in, in concrete. So you get a good, clean scent product. The prices are really good, and they've got a lot of options. So go to mastinsdeersense.com, check out what they have to offer. You can order right on the website, and they'll ship it right to your house. Now let's get back into the conversation. It's certainly a, a a tough problem. I would be curious to know 
like obviously these things can't be managed like we do our traditional uh, native game species or even non-game species, right? Like the populations just can't be kept in check by those methods. So I, I would be interested to know what, if any, kinds of conversations they've had, you know, I guess state agencies have had with or you know, I mean, if 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 it's costing the country $2.5 billion, I, I'm hoping that they've had some conversations with, like, non-traditional sources, right? Like, somebody somewhere you would think could come up with, or a group of somebodies could come up with a simple, elegant, cost-effective solution to do something with these things. There's obviously that game agency component because it's not an animal in a pen that you can just go out and get whenever you want. It's, you know, it's in a native landscape. And, you know, with Asian carp, you got to think about bycatch and, and disturbing the ecosystem for the native species. But you know, so th they would certainly be a player at the table, but I just find it hard to believe that we, ha that we, uh, you know, other than can't beat them, eat them, that we haven't found a way to, and you don't hear me offering any suggestions. So I, I, I realize <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, uh, not helping, but I guess I, you know, to circle back, uh, you know, what types of conversations for non-traditional methods of wildlife management have they had, if any, you know? Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like you said, there's, um, it's an awful lot. It's an awful big resource. Right. To not try to find some way to tap into it just from that side of things, let alone also, like you said, managing that, call it managing that resource, benefits all the natural, normal resources that they're now damaging. Yeah, so like we need to get... Saving money by not having them damage everything, plus you're also potentially saving money or making money off of a very, very, very renewable resource. <laughs> right. Like we need to get like Apple's marketing team to, to figure out a way to make, you know, disposing of wild hogs or Asian carp sexy. Right. Like, right. you know, I mean, that's a lot of what you pay for when Apple products is their masterful marketing. Right. They do a fantastic job with it. Yeah. We, you know, so like, I guess that's what I'm talking about with like non-traditional, like if Apple's marketing team were to sit down or, or, you know, pick your company you know, under armor who, you know, any of these companies that, that just do phenomenal marketing, what, what would they come up with? What story could they spin, come up with to make it appealing 
to where, you know, not just hunters are like, yeah, you know what? I kind of do want to go whatever. Shoot a wild hog. Um, have one as a, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not a masterful marketer. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> in terms of actually solving this problem. I just solved it, man. Well, you may be thinking too far inside the box still. Okay. Because w- what I'm thinking is there's a lot of animals out there that as humans, we've accidentally almost drove to extinction. And, you know, by just the byproduct of our activities. Um, so you would think if we intentionally tried to basically cause something to go extinct or eradicate it, you know, we'd be able to. Um, And I mean, in my mind, if I had all the money in the world to try to solve this problem, especially with the Asian carp, the the hogs may be a little bit more difficult, is to genetically modify them and basically put Trojan horse uh, Asian carp back into the population that are that's going to basically cause a genetic defect after x number of generations okay you know and that causes them to go sterile or causes them to die you know allow them to breed you know like the first breeding the first time every fish breeds it breeds successfully but then the offspring of that fish are not viable or something. Right. And so many, yeah, that would, you know, you got to make it. So it's so many generations out that it, that they spread through the whole population. But I mean, cause we've done this with other animals and humans by accident. You know, we've, I mean, not with genetic engineering, but with, chemicals we've you know caused entire cities you know because we don't realize that there's chemicals in the water to become sterilized you know and so you would think if we had i mean what number did you say how many billions of dollars a year 2.5 billion yeah when you're talking that kind of money you would sure think someone would be able to find a way to manage this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could argue that Apple's development team would have come up with something like that. (laughs) Right. But, but but, I mean, it's a great point, right? Like instead of doling out money here to this farmer, to this landowner, to this, to that, like just stop. And we're all just going to, suck it up for a year or two and in spent, instead of spending $2.5 billion across the country to various landowners, we're just going to put that money in a, in an account and whoever solves the problem wins the prize. And if nobody solves it, then, then you can, you know, maybe you put a timeline on it. I think we're getting onto something here. It's a contest. With a giant uh-huh. cash prize. And whoever solves it gets the money. And if nobody solves it within 
five years, then we say, hey, now I get, you know, there's a lot of farmers that you could probably put out of business in five years if they had really bad hog damage and, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you don't, you'd have to figure out the details, right? Maybe you don't not give them anything, but instead of giving them, maybe you only give them half or whatever. Because, the, you know, the idea here is not to put farmers out of business. But if there was some way that you could sort of have them all weather the storm, because we're not going to be doling out billions of dollars in damages and control, but instead we're going to, you know, <clears throat> pay this team or, you know, run this contest where somebody's going to come up with a solution like that. Then you get into some like, there's probably a movie out there about something like that where it seems good on paper, but then you release these things into the wild and they breed with the... Uh, Absolutely. Something right. eats them, and now you have, like, you know, I don't know, mutant jackrabbits that eat meat or something. And... Right. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that any of these are sound scientific ideas. All I'm really saying... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> they're very good theories, but all I'm saying is we we did a lot of we've done a lot of this stuff accidentally in the past. So you would think if we intentionally tried to do something, we could do it. And this may kind of lead us back to, especially with the hogs, is that although they're you know people kind of say like, oh, I I want them all gone. When it actually comes down to it, it's like, well, I don't want all of them gone. I still want to be able to, to hunt them. I just don't want that many. Right. I don't want to right. tear everything up. Right. right. And I think that's kind of the big issue with hogs is basically you either have to have zero or overpopulated. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, there is no balance. They are either destroying everything or you don't have them. Yeah. Right. You know, cause I mean, even with, uh, Lake Erie, you know, kind of some of the invasives in Lake Erie, you know, a lot of people complain about them until, you know, you kind of talk about, Oh, well, we'll just get rid of them all. And then it's like, well, we don't want rid of all of them, you know, like cause zebra mussels cause a lot of problems. You know, they uh, damage boats and uh, piping systems and ecosystems, but they make the water clear and kind of clean up the water. And, you know, a lot of people like that benefit. And right. even some wildlifers benefiting from it. You know, uh, Lake Erie's starting to see more like sea ducks in it. And one of the theories is that the zebra mussels have kind of cleaned the water and made it so that the, that Lake Erie is attractive to sea ducks. Huh? And, um, gobies, you know, they, a lot of people complain about gobies cause they're eating all of the game species eggs, but also, 
a lot of people like gobies because they basically are a really good food source for a lot of the game species. You know, they, they fatten them up. You know, there's an abundant supply of food. So the smallmouth, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the game fish in Lake Erie, you know, like these are the heydays, like, you know, smallmouth are as big as they ever been. And, you know, the walleye hatch is as best as it's ever been. Right. And, you know, not saying that those things are happening because of, uh you know the invasives but it's lake erie's doing well right now they have two pretty bad invasive populations that you know are if if most you know environmentalists could would get rid of all of them with a snap of their fingers right so it's there's definitely some uh, social aspects to eradicating, you know, these invasives. You know, although people know in their heart of hearts that they're causing damage, when it actually comes down to, okay, well, let's get rid of them all, you know, I think people start to backpedal. Right. Yeah, well, well, well may, maybe we don't have to get rid of them all. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, and like you've, you've heard us talk here, you know, each species is a little different, right? So it's a, it's a complex and, and nuanced problem that, uh, you know, isn't going away. And hopefully, you know, we can figure out a way to do something, right? Keep, keep things from continuing to spiral I mean, like we said at the beginning of this, you know, we don't struggle too terribly bad with the hogs in particular. Um, you know, like Jeff mentioned, we do have other aquatic invasives. You know, water's a big part of Ohio outdoor recreation. We've got the Great Lakes, Lake Erie. We've got, you know, good rivers and streams throughout the state. Ohio River, Muskingum River, you know, we've got good resources and it all gets affected by, you know, these, these invasives in the aquatic sense. Um, you know, and we didn't really even get into invasive, uh, plant species, but that's a whole another topic in and of itself. I, I think. Yeah, that's a whole whole new ball yeah. game. Right. I mean, I'm not familiar with names of advanced invasive plant species per se, but my understanding is that some of people's favorite landscaping plants are actually invasive. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that people like. They're pretty, they get pretty flowers, but at the end of the day, they are an invasive species that if not, you know, if you plant it in your flower bed and control it that's one thing but um to like let it you know if it starts to spread or whatever a lot of the things people like are actually invasive species and hurting the natural wildlife or you know plant 
wild plant species. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I was out in the field with one of my professors and uh, a girl pointed out how pretty this plant was. It was uh, like this purplish color flower, like it was like a lavender colored bush um, in the spring. It was a very nice looking bush. And, you know, my professor, you know, spouted off what it was and basically that it's invasive. And uh, I remember driving, you know, like a week later, I was, I think, coming home and just looking on the sides of the highway. And it's like, oh, wow, like it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, just it, you basically now I now that I knew what to look for, it, just every every hill had it on it. You know, I mean, it was just lining the highway just everywhere you looked you could see it yeah and it's I, like i how do you control something like that yeah it it sounds like i was gonna say i don't know if it happens to you guys but like once i see one then it like messes with my brain because once you know what you're looking for you see it everywhere and my brain starts to go like oh my god oh my god what it's everywhere. Uh, what are we going to do? You know, and it, it's like, I'm not going to do anything to, to get rid of all of it. But, you know, I guess other than, you know, spread the word. And a lot of this stuff is like, um, well, not a lot, but, you know, when you get into the plant thing, you get into the invasive versus non-native right i mean we have some stuff that is non-native but it it doesn't out compete do damage you know it's not supposed to be there but it's also not really hurting anything you know like getting back to like the stuff you plant in your flower beds a lot of that stuff is non-native non-native but you know it's not gonna choke out other stuff Right. right. I, I think we've mostly learned our our lessons. I think some of these like ornamental grasses, I, I think, could possibly still be an issue. Um, you know, I don't know. But if you want to tell you what, the way hostas grow at my house, they're pretty invasive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But um, if you want to Google a few and just, you know, have your brain messed up as you're driving down the highway. The the invasive Phragmites, that's one that you'll see, you know, in ditches along the road, you know, you'll see it. Um, Japanese knotweed is another one that, like, once you, once you see it, you'll see it lots of places. Um, and then Tree of Heaven, that's another one that, it, I had that, the, the neighbor had one at our old house and it was a rental and they didn't take very good care of it. And, you know, so this tree grew up, it was too close to there, you know, it was like, it was right next to their house. Um, but man, do those things, they grow, you, you pull them out, you you think you pull them out 
and two weeks later, there's another shoot coming back up. It's like, good golly. But those are three. Then there's a there's another one that I see that I'm not exact. It's one of the thistle. There's a thistle that I you'll see, especially driving down the highways. Like they'll mow, and then come summer, the only thing that's standing four feet tall in the mowed areas next to the highway is this thistle. And, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm pretty sure that's an invasive thistle species. But yeah. It's, uh, we don't have the, what's that stuff down, the kudzu, 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 down south? Yeah. We don't have kudzu. that here. I think it gets yeah. too cold, right? But Yeah. If you're taking a road trip in the, you know, in the southern states, warmer climates, you'll see that stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, there's, there's too many invasive plants to even, yeah. even count. I mean, basically, we think, you know the invasive animals are a problem when it comes to plant species it's far worse typically yeah yeah well i guess before we go too too much further down that rabbit hole that's probably a good spot to to end it so unless you guys have anything else to add we'll shut it off and just uh thank it Thank everyone for listening and and continuing to share, subscribe, and good luck this fall. We're we're really getting yeah. getting into the heart here of uh, seasons opening up and things like that. So it's exciting time. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a closing thought here. If you see a wild hog, uh, shoot it, and please don't release hogs thinking. You know, oh, it would be fun to have some wild hogs on my property because they'll quickly get out of control. I mean, other than it's illegal, but um, they'll quickly get out of control and cause a big problem. Yeah, so don't do that. Even I, we had a hog, like a farm hog, one time show up at our house, and it was getting in the road, so we called the the sheriff and the sheriff basically said, well, if you see it again, shoot it because basically that's all I'm going to do is come up, come there and shoot it because <laughs> that's, you know, we don't with, with hogs, we don't look for, for owners because they can yeah. get, you know, we, we just shoot them. Huh? So, well, there you go. Just shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. All right, that's it for this week. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention, maybe two things. <laughs> if you guys are sitting in the in the deer stand this fall and, and are looking for something to, to pass the time, check us out on social. We're Ohio Huntsman on Facebook, Ohio Huntsman underscore podcast on Instagram. And you may just see that we're sitting in the stand at the same time. So, it, you know. That would be kind of cool to hear from some of you that you know if we're if we're out hunting at the same time we typically try to to share things to stories and and whatnot so follow us on social if uh, like I said if you're looking for something to to pass some of the long hours in the stand this fall and the other thing I'll mention is as we are getting into 
fall, uh, I guess more, you know, well, two things. As we're getting toward Christmas and as, you know, if you're looking for some some new swag for, uh, you know, deer camp, gun camp, you know, whatever, uh, however you guys sort of, you know, if you do some sort of get together around deer season, if you're looking for some new swag for that, go to ohiohuntsman.com slash apparel and check out our shirts and sweatshirts and, and things we have to offer there. So that's that's one way you can support the show and get some cool gear out of it. And with that, I think we are done and we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>